Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. We've got a great show for you today. We'll be taking a look at a week full of news in the oil and gas pipeline industry. Joining me to break it all down is Motley Fool contributor Jason Hall. Jason, welcome back on the podcast. It's so good to be on and talking about oil stuff again. Yeah, I mentioned we're going to talk about oil and gas pipelines today. And of course, we've got to lead with Warren Buffett's latest deal on Monday. We got news that Berkshire Hathaway Energy, the energy unit of Buffett's conglomerate, will pay about $4 billion in cash and take on $5.7 billion of existing debt to acquire Dominion Energy's natural gas transmission and storage business. Jason, when you saw this news, what was your reaction? I, I honestly, it was like, hey, this is this is like exactly what Buffett does. I mean, this is like a as pure a Buffett deal as it gets. He finds uh, uh, like a predictable cash cow cash flow business, and he buys all of it when he can uh, for a, a reasonable price. And I think that's what we what we saw right here, right? This is uh, Buffett's been bad at, at at energy investing on the on the equity side, right? He's been a terrible investor when it comes to buying oil stocks. But I think everybody has over the past decade, if you want to be fair. But this is like exactly what Buffett has proven to be really really good at. Yeah, this energy segment uh, of of Berkshire Hathaway, I think Warren Buffett refers to it as his top dogs, uh, really kind of drives uh, the portfolio. When you look at these assets uh, that Berkshire Hathaway acquired, what what comes with to them in this deal? So first thing I note is, is was it uh, over 7,000 miles of uh, interstate uh, gas pipelines, right? So that's like the arteries of of energy, you know, infrastructure in the U.S. So that's a that's a great thing to own. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it on the show why, like right now, is actually a really good time to be buying these kind of assets that are already in play and have been around for a long time. Uh, but again, it's like a, it's it's again these are, these aren't oil pipelines or gas pipelines or gas transmission. So you think about natural gas as uh, as opposed to oil. It's generally it's pretty consistent in demand. It's what power plants really prefer to use utilities really prefer to use it right now for for energy generation so it's it's a good solid business it's a toll road business right you you're not you're not making a play on the commodity price so that's like the core that kind of underpins uh, under underpins uh, what comes along with uh, with with why Buffett would want to do this but what it also gets it gets a 25% stake in Cove Point which is uh, a, an LNG export facility started out as an LNG import uh, uh, facility, but now it's an export facility. Um, and there's, we'll talk about some of the advantages of owning that right now too, right? That's a pretty, pretty cool thing to get. It's paid four billion in cash and taken on about five billion, five and point seven billion of debt. Um, which I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see that debt get refinanced at uh, current rates too. That's what I was thinking about. So, you know, when they buy this deal uh, and they take on five point seven billion dollars in debt, okay. But given today's interest rates, I mean, they can refinance that as close to zero as you're going to get. So I just view this as a cash deal, honestly, with with Berkshire's yeah. access to capital. Yeah, well, it's better than cash, right? Because whatever interest rates they're going to pay is certainly going to be. I mean, maybe they get negative rates, right? And <laughs> so, so yeah, when you look at the the, the price that, that Berkshire paid for these assets, I, I've seen some estimates. Uh, uh, J.P. Morgan had had uh, these pipelines at about a billion in EBITDA. So, so you you get about 10x EV to EBITDA. Uh, is what Berkshire is paying for these assets. What do you make of that valuation? Was this an attractive deal from a pricing point of view? Obviously, these assets 
uh, have a long life and can drive cash flow over time. Yeah, I think I, I don't think it was a steal, right? But I think it was certainly a fair price uh, for what for what uh, for what uh, for what they paid. And then if you start looking at some of like the some of the publicly traded uh, businesses out there that are so, you know kind of somewhat similar in terms of, of what you can you can buy, it looks like a good, it looks like a good value. I mean, it really does. So given that we've talked about the attractiveness of these assets over time, these are the arteries of the U.S. when it comes to the energy infrastructure, natural gas is going to take more and more share away from coal as we move forward uh, uh, over the years. Why is Dominion selling these assets today? You know, this is a really um, it's a it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a touchy subject, but what you have to remember is that you think about you know, the, the businesses that own and operate these kinds of assets, you typically have two businesses. You have some utilities like Dominion that, that, that own some um, as, part, as part of a larger business that's primarily in regulated utilities. Uh, but then you have like the standalone pure play uh, midstream pipeline companies that that's their business, right? They own pipelines, they own gathering infrastructure assets, they own storage facilities, and that's, that's kind of all they do. Um, and I think for Dominion, this is simply a case of you know having to having to make a decision about what it wanted to focus on going forward. Uh, this this uh, if you've paid any attention to the news um, uh, over the past week, there's been a lot of bad news for uh, for the state of uh, anybody trying to build pipelines or expand pipeline infrastructure. Uh, it's getting ugly out there right now. Absolutely, D- Dominion mentions uh, with the announcement that they they hope to. This will help accelerate some of their transition to reducing their emissions and things like that. But but another thing they mentioned is in conjunction uh, with the sale of these assets to Berkshire Hathaway, Dominion also announced that it is canceling its planned Atlantic Coast pipeline that it had been working on uh, with Duke Energy going back uh, for six years. So this really looks like Dominion is getting out, uh, just wants to get out of uh, uh, this pipeline business. One of the, one of the issues they cite is continued... Uh, uh, excuse me, it continued uh, legal costs, permitting costs uh, when it comes to trying to get these issues approved. They actually just won a seven to two opinion in the Supreme Court last month that looked like they'd overcome some hurdles, but they cite in their press release from canceling this pipeline that uh, a recent court announcement having to do uh, with the Keystone XL pipeline in, in a Montana uh, uh, federal court, uh, the judge there uh, overturned uh, an existing permitting scheme, Nationwide Permit 12, that had allowed uh, a number of pipelines uh, to pass with limited review. Uh, there has been continued challenges to that. And actually this week, the Supreme Court upheld uh, that decision from, from the lower federal court. So, so it looks like Dominion is looking out at the regulatory environment, the costs that it's going to take uh, to bring this asset to market and, and comparing that uh, uh, with the potential returns over uh, over the lifetime of what they could potentially realize, they just wanted to get out of the business. And I think you have to understand how the implications are different for a Dominion Energy that has a large regulated utility business than it would be for. We'll talk about. I think we'll talk about energy transfer in a minute. In a minute, or one of these guys that their sole business is pipelines and not any of this regulated business is when you start commingling um, utility customers business and those funds that are part of that regulated utility with a side business or an unregulated business that you're trying to do and it gets really hard and it gets really complex and complicated and it can be really really challenging um so if you're if you're dominion and you see potential continued legislation uh and those costs that can start 
you know, can get harder and harder to keep them segregated away from the regulated utility part of your business because a lot of legal requirements to do that, that it sometimes you just have to walk away because unless you have a certain level of certainty that you're going to be able to move forward, the risk of unpredictability it creates a problem, right? So if you're if you're an investor and you're looking for yield, you're looking for income, and you're looking for it to be higher than you can get from bonds, which is nothing now, right? But also you want to have it as safe as possible. Utilities are typically uh, a place in equities that investors are going to look because they generate those steady cash flows. And as an investor, you know that dividend is is almost a promise, right? It's, it's, it's as close to a promise as you can get. Now, obviously, that hasn't worked out too well for Dominion Energy investors. If you bought Dominion Energy stock last month or earlier this year, you know, you're not happy right now because the dividend's getting absolutely gutted um, as part of this as part of this deal. Um, but again, the idea is they're they're kind of hitting the reset button so they can just start over and just focus on the regu- regulated business um, without the the overhang of and all the implications that come along with the unpredictable business that is now building pipelines. Which, you know, ten years ago, you wouldn't have thought that this would be an unpredictable business, right? Yeah, I mean, to your point on unpredictability. Uh, the original estimates uh, that Dominion at Duke had had for the cost of the project was $4.5 to $5 billion. Their most recent public guidance had increased around $8 billion. Obviously, massive cost inflation uh, when it comes to trying to get through all these regulatory hurdles. And you know, we, we mentioned this Atlantic Coast pipeline that had been in development and, and is now being canceled. Keystone XL is a pipeline that had been proposed nearly a decade ago at this point. Not nearly. It was proposed in 2010. Yeah. It's been 10 years. And so this pipeline appears to have reached a point to where uh, courts have ruled it can't proceed forward. But you'd mentioned energy transfer. This is another case. Uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline, they operate running from the Bakken uh, down toward Illinois, helping to distri- distribute that oil. That's a pipeline that's been controversial over a number of years, but has actually been operational uh, for the last four years. But on Monday, a U.S. district judge issued a ruling that the pipeline would have to shut down by August 5th for a thorough environmental review. And some estimates say that could take up to 13 months. In response, Energy Transfer has said, we're not complying. What, what do you make of this, Jason? I mean, uh, you've got a, a federal judge going toe to toe with a company that is, that is saying we will not comply uh, with your ruling. What does this mean uh, for Energy Transfer, the business today? So philosophically, we can again. I think this is really like this is like the epitome of the difference between uh, a regulated utility and and a standalone uh, pipeline company, right? This is this is not a battle that you would have seen um, a company like. Uh, um, um, uh, I'm just completely drawing a blank here. Like uh, the utility that was like Dominion. This is not a battle you'd see Dominion being willing to want to fight because. Again, we're not talking about the same pipelines here, but the reality is that if you count on regulators to be your friends, you can't fight City Hall on something like this because the political implications are just, they're too big, right? They're too risky. But if you're, if you're energy transfer and your stock's been pummeled and your business is suffering right now because of your exposure to, say, I don't know, Chesapeake Energy, right? That's a big customer of theirs and some, some, some of their contracts could be at risk, um, 
you you know in for a penny in for a pound here right you have to you have to you know take your take your risks and take your shots and i think this is the kind of thing where they're saying we're going to push this as far as we can we you know there's they still have legal options and, I, and my expectation is that they're trying like hell to try to get some federal judge to issue a temporary injunction until this can go before the courts and we can get, it could go all the way to the Supreme Court, right? I mean, I think it really could. Um, but this is their core business, right? This isn't a side business they're trying to grow. This is their. This is what they do. This is how they make a living. Um, so, so I think they have no choice but to con- continue to push. And I think, frankly, you know, a, a Supreme Court ruling simply from the perspective of giving more clarity to the entire space for that predictability going forward. Uh, I mean, that may be the end game. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, certainly a lot of uncertainty going on here. And I, I agree. There's no doubt that, uh, excuse me, that's not that there's no doubt. There's certainly a possibility that this could go uh, uh, to the Supreme Court. When you look at energy transfer today, you mention the Chesapeake Energy Bankruptcy affecting them. Uh, the Chesapeake is trying to void several pipeline contracts. One of them is a nearly $300 million agreement with energy transfer. Look at the stock today. It's uh, its dividend yield is nearly 20%. What, what do you make of the stock? I mean, uh, that what do you do with it cut. here? We all know it. That dividend's getting cut. But no, I think I think here's the thing, right? So I think when if you if you're looking for yield, if you're looking for income, when you see a 19% yield with very few exceptions, you know, that's not a place to go for yield. And I think this is this is the market is simply saying we think there is a very high probability energy transfers dividend is going to get cut, right? It's like it's it's going to have to come down because the cash flows are affected. You know, there's there's substantial risk to its cash flows. Um, you know, the Chesapeake deals one thing, and now you have this with uh, uh, with uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline, right? That's a massive source of, of cash flows for the company that the dividend investors aren't going to be able to count on. But I think what you can do is you can look at the business and say, wow, the stock price has really fallen a tremendous amount. If if I think that there is any opportunity that they can salvage some of some of this and and continue or, and and to move forward. Maybe there's an opportunity for upside capital gains on buying the stock at this price on a turnaround if they can get their business prospects back lined up. So, but again, that's a high risk sort of scenario, and it's two totally different investing theses based on two totally different expectations, right? So, I think that's kind of you have to put it in that bucket and decide whether or not you think that the risk is worth the potential returns. And for me right now, um, I, I can't give an answer to that. There's just too much uncertainty. There's too much legislative or lit, uh, lit, litigation risk. There's too much legislation risk. We just, we don't know, right? We don't know yet. Yeah, I agree with you, Jason. One of my kind of fundamental rules of investing is if my thesis depends on the government to do anything, it's probably not a good thesis. And so, I, you know, I, I think in this case, you're dependent on the, the government coming back to you or the courts coming back to you uh, uh, with an opinion that reverses what, what has occurred in the lower court, which says that you can't maintain operations of, of, of your pipeline. And, you know, if I, if I own the stock already, I don't think I'd be selling, but, uh, but you know, I'm not going to borrow trouble buying into all this uncertainty right now, given that, again, you're dependent on the government making a favorable decision for you. Something you and I spitballed a little bit that I brought up. I don't want to attribute this potentially terribly wrong idea to you, but something that just popped into my mind as we were looking at this is maybe maybe part of the end game is if if the government's going to shut this down at at the risk of saying okay this pipeline's done and it can't operate, maybe part of the end game is saying look we've been operating this pipeline for multiple years based on you giving us the green light and you giving us the go ahead. If you're going to take it away from us. You got to make us whole, right? Uh, maybe, maybe I don't know. I, I think that'd be a pretty unprecedented thing for for a pipeline, 
But last I checked, you know, and this is an eminent domain. I, I realize that. But if, if, the, if the government takes away your property for eminent domain, they have to pay you market value, right? So maybe there's still some expectation that if you're going to change your mind and say this, is, this can't go, maybe that's like a worst case hope for the company is, that, is something like that happening. Um, just spitballing. Yeah, it's certainly abnormal for, for a, a pipeline that has been in operation for a number of years to, to be shut down is atypical. And so to a certain extent, we're off the edge of the map on, on where, where we go from here. Right. Uh, you know, circling back to Buffett, we, we've talked about given the regulatory issues, Dominion doesn't want to be involved in, in building its Atlantic Coast pipeline. We, we've had courts really restrict the ability to build new pipelines. What does that say about the attractiveness of these pipelines that Buffett just got? These pipelines that are already in existence, already operating, uh, transport a, a key uh, commodity when it comes to power, powering our country. Does that make these assets even more valuable, the fact that it's so, so hard to build new pipelines? I think maybe it does, right? I think it certainly it certainly adds a layer of like predictability to what they should be able to generate uh, you know, over the over the term of their of their existence, right? And I think we also have to delineate too that that all pipelines aren't created equal, right? We're talking about you know Keystone XL and the Dakota Access; those are oil 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 pipelines, right? This is these are natural gas assets. So in terms of again, they feed energy into the uh, for the electrical grid uh, versus oil, and you know I th I'm pretty sure I saw you on Twitter take the bold stance that you think U.S. auto sales uh, may have peaked, like like permanently peaked. Um, so there, I mean, there's questions about, you know, in North America in terms of oil demand, um, that, that I think are some reasonable questions to ask, uh, but gas, you know, is, natural gas is kind of a different story. I also think you start talking about taking natural gas to the next step. You start talking about LNG. So that Cove Point LNG export facility, I think that's kind of a little secret value that's not getting enough play because something that a lot of people aren't really aware of is that the oil crash this year also fundamentally affected the development of liquefied natural gas export facilities in the in North America, right? In the U.S., there was a bunch of these. There's a dozen or so, you know, that were pretty lined up to start some stage of, of, of construction, you know, in the next year or so. I think they've all been delayed. I don't think anybody's um, move, moving forward with, you know, anything quickly. So, I think over the, I think that just adds an extra two years of zero competition for a Cove Point uh, is one of only a handful of LNG export facilities that are operating, and globally LNG is going to bounce back. The de demand is going to recover, and the thesis long term is still the same. Um, so I think that's a nice a nice little piece that's part of the pie too. And then you start talking about um, uh, biomethane, right? So you talk about renewable natural gas from landfills and and dairy farms and other agricultural operations and humid waste. Um, that's like it's a net positive. These are you know zero carbon, negative carbon um, sources of 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 energy that these pipelines can carry that too because it's the same molecule. So like the 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 the, the long term value of these assets is far different than oil. And, and it could, I mean, we could see a century, right, of, of, of still use from these. I, I absolutely agree, Jason. Uh, you know, on the, on the you know, car ownership peaking, I think this, the stat to know there is, is just that in the U.S., I want to say it's like one and a quarter cars for every, for every licensed driver in the U.S. and maybe even higher than that. Uh, the, there's just only so many cars that, 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 the, country, um, that the country can take. When you look at Warren Buffett jumping into this, and I also agree as well uh, on your point about natural gas pipelines versus oil pipelines, I think that there's very little doubt in my mind that we're still going to be using natural gas as part of our electricity grid 
50, 100 years down the line. And I don't have that same level of confidence about the role that oil is going to play. I think it's certainly going to be around. We're still going to be using plastics and things like that. But but whether we're going to be using it on the same scale for transportation, which I think accounts for about 50 percent of oil demand in the U.S., I, I really don't know. Well, when you look at natural gas pipelines, specifically Warren Buffett moving into the space, a company we always hear a lot of questions about is Kinder Morgan, which is a company very involved in natural gas pipelines. When you see Jordan, excuse me, when you see Warren Buffett move into this space, does this signal to you, hey, come on in, the water's fine. Maybe we should go look at some of these other pipeline companies for an attractive investment opportunity. Uh, you know, yes and no. I think I think if you look at the price that 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 Berkshire paid, I think it's what about about ten times enterprise. So that's equity plus debt, about you know nine point seven billion. So about ten times uh, enterprise value to EBITDA. And I think it kind of sets a good like baseline, right, to start looking at uh, at the pipeline companies. Um, you know, I think I think you might have to kind of normalize those a little bit. And maybe you know some of this is a weird year, right? And so I think maybe you can apply those values. And maybe look at last year's results and and kind of think about future earnings potential a little bit. So some that might even look a little bit above that that EV multiple, EV to EBITDA multiple might still be a good value. But I think it can definitely be a great place to identify um, uh, pipelines that, uh, that 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 maybe do trade at a good value. Again, for investors that are looking for that steady, stable source of predictable income from in, from dividends, that pipeline companies, kind of like utilities, tend to pay. You'd think maybe with a little more growth potential, as we need more of that infrastructure. But dude, all bets are off right now in terms of of uh, of, of how much potential for growth uh, there's going to be, especially when you cross the border um, or the federal government gets uh, gets a bigger role in uh, in the thumbs up or the thumbs down. A lot, a lot of uncertainty in this space right now, and when, when you're dealing with the Supreme Court getting involved and, and lots of court cases, we'll just have to see how things play out. But as we get more information, we'll be here uh, uh, to cover it, and I'll have you back on the podcast to break it all down. I'm going to put one last little uh, trivia and piece of trivia on the on the end here. This just blew my mind. So over the past decade, Berkshire Hathaway stock has doubled plus a little bit. Did you know that the S and P 500 has generated twice the return total return of Berkshire Hathaway over the past decade? It's lapped Berkshire Hathaway over the past decade. Do you think that maintains over the next decade? I I, I look at the I, I don't I look at the price of Berkshire right now, the valuation, and I think it's an absolute buy, right? I think you look at the operating businesses, the cash flows they generate, and you look at its equities that have suffered. Uh, Buffett's bought a hell of a lot of banks, <laughs> you know, over the past decade, and banks have been hit very very hard. And I think that's weighed a lot on the on the investing portfolio. I think that's that's carried over to the value of the stock. So um, I, I have not, I sold my Berkshire shares about five years ago, but I'm looking at it right now as a strong buy. I really am. All right, folks, we're going out on a limb here. Berkshire Hathaway is a buy. That's a crazy, crazy say that, huh? All right, Jason, thanks for coming on the podcast as always. A blast. Always a blast. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and fool on. We'll be right back.